Hey, welcome to the Glory Line podcast. This is an extension of the official gathering of young people who are pursuing Christ, and it's an extension that would help us reach so many more people. And we aim to have conversations that will help people increase their faith and help each and every one of us grow in Christ. We hope you continue to join us on this journey. Stay tuned. Hello, welcome to the Glory Line podcast. Um, I'm really so glad we're able to do this. Really, really so glad. By the way, just to put it out there, we plan to start the recording by 10, and we had like a 30 minutes pre conversation. We did. So, <laughs> so we're just at the number. I'm really, really so glad that we're able to do this. Um, can you please just introduce yourself um, before we get started? Yeah, of course. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Arabella Jemide. Um, I'm a final year student at the University of Nottingham. I'm not really sure what else you want me to say. And yeah, I just, um, if Emmy asked me to come on and we've already had a very interesting conversation, so I'm excited to be here. Yes, I'm also really very excited to be here. Thank you, Bella, for doing this. So today we're going to be talking about one topic which I love so much, and um, it's um, the different standards of living as a Christian. and um, we tagged this episode, do this in church, but don't do it at home. Are there different standards of living for a Christian? For me, this, um, this topic is really, really very interesting because realize that as a Christian, we can fall into the trap of always going, wanting to get people to see that we are holy. We can fall into the trap of just deciding to just be moral when we want to go to church alone and also into the trap of ranking scene and it's really very important for us to know that there's no there's no point in compartmentalizing your life and realizing that your life is one for christ so you're not going to say that you're a christian in church and when you get home you are a very very bad person and people don't understand it and when those two life clash it's like oh my god what is this and so it's that conversation to just help one another and just share our stories and our experiences on what we think um, this is. So the first question I'm going to be asking is, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, a lot of people growing in Christ act different way in church, act different way in the house, act different way with your friends. And I wanted to ask that, do we think the church is to be blamed? Because... Uh, you know, like a church, sometimes I feel like the church just wants people to look like as if they have a moral standing and they're not really focused on the salvation of their soul. And if I come to you and I decide that I want to be, I come to this church rather, I want to do this and this, I, I'm an upstanding Christian, I close my eyes in prayers, I give a lot, a lot, a lot of offering, but you're not worried about the salvation of my soul, you don't know, you're not worried about it by no Christ. Um, you just want me to come and show you a certain side of me. So I wanted to ask, do we think the church is to be blamed as to why people have a different life in church and also outside of church? Yeah, I think, first of all, that's a great question to start off with. Um, and I think the bottom line, I think, to to answer that, it's probably best to state um, the obvious, which is, whether you sin in church or you sin outside of church, you sinned. <laughs> so whether you you go to church, like the place, church is a building. It's literally a place. So if I sin in, I don't know, my room and I go to uni, I've still sinned. 
do you know what I mean? Like the church in that context is, is literally a building. And so um, stepping into a church as a building doesn't negate the life that you've had outside of church. So essentially you can't have a life outside of church. Otherwise you're just going to church, you're just an attendee. In which case you might as well sit down in your house. Because <laughs> that's, that's not what the church building is for. Um, and so I think, obviously, just to state the obvious, it, it, you sin, you, you sin. The place doesn't really matter, um, as much as you, you've done something that that you probably need repentance from. Um, and so I think that's obviously important to know. I'm sure we already have like some level of, of knowledge in that. And so the question: Should the church be blamed? Is a big one because we are the church. Um, was supposed to be the church and so we can look at that from two perspectives should the church be blamed should church culture be blamed should the people who are leaders um, leadership in church be blamed um i want to say and this is not a very popular opinion but i want to say if i eat food and i gain weight from the food i'm eating i'm not going to blame you for the weights that i've gained and the reason why we have access to the resources we do in like for example the bible you know the internet all those things is because you know there there is leadership that we should honor um as anointed and appointed by god to spread his word and to teach um but they are not responsible for our faith individually and so going to church hearing a word from a preacher or someone who's appointed or anointed um, does not negate the fact that I still have to do my own part. It's my relationship with God. It's not the church's relationship with God. That's a different thing entirely. Um, and so in that sense, I'm responsible for my faith. I'm responsible for what I believe. I'm responsible for how what my relationship with God looks like. And so based on that, I'm not going to blame the pastor for something that I have access to. Um that's not a popular opinion because they are called to teach. Um, and so when we think about it from that perspective, I think to a certain degree, that is a whole different conversation and a, a different ball game because then we're now asking, who are you listening to? Who is your leader? Who do you call your leader? What church do you call home? Why do you call it home? What is it that they, they teach here that that made you you know fall in love with Jesus? That, that makes you think Jesus is present there? Those are, and that's a whole different conversation just because I, there are false preachers out there. You know, people believe all types of stuff. And so based on that, we're, yeah, we're just delving into a completely, you know, different and a, a fairly deep conversation where it's like the best thing and the simplest thing for you to do so you know God for yourself is, you know, accept teachings, but not without your own relationship with God. Like it all has to be based on, the fact that you have a relationship with God, not you have a relationship with God through church. You have you're supposed to have a relationship with God through Jesus, which is personal, um, which can be done in a church building or done in your room. The place doesn't really matter as long as it's you and God. Um, and so that's one aspect of it. Um, and I think the flip side of that is, do we blame ourselves? You know, because we are the body of Christ. Do we blame ourselves <laughs> for? I don't even know how to word it. Like, do we blame ourselves, period? Um, guilt, shame, you know, 
any kind of shame that you, you put on yourself isn't of God, right? And so my thing is what what got us to the point where we started asking the question, who is to blame for, you know, the fact that I live two different lives, quote unquote, um, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so there is going to always be that tension between our fleshy desires and our spirit man. Um, and that's the world that we live in. Um, but the way it's designed by God and through scripture is that we would make a choice. That's where your free will comes in. We would make a choice at every point or every chance that we get to choose our spirits, to choose God, to choose the ways of God over our fleshy desires. And so again, we're still responsible. This is this is literally the importance of intimacy with God. We're still responsible. So should we be blaming anybody? Not really, because do you know what I mean? It's a personal relationship. It's, it's so important that we grasp how personal and intimate God's, God wants our relationship with him to be, um, because then we avoid instances where we're having to figure out who to blame for where I'm at in my faith, if that makes any sense. Yes, yes, it actually, it actually does make sense. I wanted to just talk into about two things you mentioned here. And the first one is I totally agree that it's a personal relationship with God. And I believe that a lot of time people need to realize that. But sometimes it takes it takes people a longer time because I'm, I'm not trying to generalize here, but people mostly sometimes rely on the shepherd type. Like, I need someone to kind of lead me in this journey, I need someone to help me. And so I wanted to ask, um, based on that conversation, what role do you think having a shepherd plays in in this as a person, as a Christian, that you're just trying to make decisions, you have your own beliefs already, you're just trying to just change them for something else. What role, how, what role do you think the shepherd plays? And secondly is, when you talk about the leadership in church, and for me, it's, the most, it's one of the most important things because um, for example, some churches have certain rules that you have to adhere to if you want to be a member of that church, but you necessarily do not believe in them. And I'll give a very regular example. Some churches say you should not, as a lady, you should not wear trousers to come to church. And because you you love wearing your trousers. So on, on a particular Sunday, you don't wear trousers. And on a Saturday, on a Monday, you put on your trousers and you go. And a lot of people might not see you outside and feel like I say, oh, you're living two lives. You're not you're not obeying what the church has said you should do and you're doing something else. So how do you balance that kind of situation? Right. So the, the two questions, great questions, by the way. Um, should, you know, what, what would I say about leadership? How important is it? And the second one, um, I'm just going to say how I understood it was basically about church culture like specific churches have their way of doing things and how do we balance that with, you know, ourselves, who we are um, and who we're trying to be. Um, so I think I'll answer the second one first because I'm a bit more blatant about that when it comes to um, <laughs> what what you being in church looks like or what us being in church looks like. And for me, this is my personal experience because I've had experiences in Nigeria. I had a particular experience with my mom where we went to a church. I'm not going to name the church, obviously, but um, we went to a church and we had eyes on us for the 15 minutes that we were sat in the church. 
first of all, because we wore jeans to the church. This is a church in Nigeria, in Lagos. Um, and people were just staring at us with, they were just staring. <laughs> and it wasn't comfortable. And so we, my mom said something to one of the ushers about it. And I think he called a leader of some sort. And they called us outside to tell us that the reason why people were staring at us because we were wearing jeans. And so, first of all, my experience in that case as a Christian tells me if you people, members of the congregation, people in that church believe in a culture that, first of all, as a quote unquote sinner for wearing jeans to your church, um, the first your first response is to make me uncomfortable and not feel loved. I don't believe in that. Do you know what I mean? Jesus loved us all. So even if even if what I did, what I did was come into a church, and this is a very extreme example, but even if what I did was come into a church with a knife in my hand that had blood on it and I was a murderer, Jesus taught that we were to love under any circumstance because that's what he did. We are to love and just show compassion. Now, I'm not saying you condone what you don't like um, all in the name of loving, but I'm saying there's a way that you can love and still be firm in your beliefs and be disciplined in what you believe. Um, and so that example obviously has stayed with me because I, I knew for a fact I didn't want to be part of a quote-unquote church that did that to people, right? And so church culture for me, um, and there's no church that doesn't have its problems. There's no church, I, I, for someone like me that serves at the church that I'm at here in Nottingham, our church shout out love that church like i that's my home church um for someone who serves the way i do in a church i know i know firsthand that there's no church that doesn't have you know <laughs> is is issues every every church does um but i think the reality is is when it comes to you as an individual and finding a place that you can call home where you are trusting of your your leaders because the truth is as long as you submit to the body of Christ, you submit to the leaders, you submit to their vision that God has given them, God has spoken through them. And so even if there are times when you don't agree, they're your leadership. And that's how, that's how important, again, this ties into probably the, the first question, that's how important leadership is. Jesus had his ways that were different from the ways of the Pharisees, but his disciples said, I will follow you. They had questions along the way. Sometimes they even said, Jesus, this thing doesn't make sense. <laughs> quite literally there's some scriptures that you read and it's like the disciples were literally saying to jesus but why do it like this you know it doesn't make sense they didn't always understand it but they followed him that's the that's what discipleship is that's what following jesus is you understand that there is a vision that has been given by god and so you're trusting of the vision of god through the man that he's brought the vision to um and I, I, I'm a strong believer in is, you know, the Bible says where two or more are gathered, you're there. Um, but also God speaks through his spirit, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, um, prophecies. And so really and truly, if my leadership have a vision and I don't see it from jump, why am I there? Do you know what I mean? If your vision is this and my spirit doesn't quote unquote agree with it or my spirit, you know, finds it questionable maybe the ulterior motives maybe my spirit just doesn't get your vision altogether really and truly why are you there why follow something that you don't believe in 
why follow something that you you yourself can't if i go outside the reason why i can say with my church this is my home church is because i believe in everything that they're doing we're not a perfect church um but the i believe in the vision of the church i believe in in what the church is carrying i believe it is from god and so i'm choosing to follow god i'm not following the man that's carrying the vision i'm backing him there's a big difference um so i'm backing him in in everyone in that community everyone in my church community for example is backing the vision of god given to our senior leader do you know what i mean is so leadership is it's important you know it's important not just on a find a mental level not just on a you know you need someone that you can be accountable to and talking to and those things in themselves are crucial um because what we're, we're actually as a church what god has said to do life in community so th- those things are crucial like what what um um the arpeggio for example is a community we're not supposed to do you know life alone we're supposed to do it in community but leadership when you pick your leadership should be as because you're partnering with a vision right so i even want to make such a bold statement as to say after the union of two becoming one which is marriage like the bible literally describes christ married to the church and husband and wife together the bible parallels those two things so when you commit to a church you're making you're making that's a covenant that god honors do you know what i mean like he he sees that covenant and so it's very very important to partner with a vision that you actually believe in to partner with a vision that doesn't that grows you that teaches you the ways of the lord that teaches you things that help you grow in your faith that teaches you things that are actually principles laid out in the bible and are agreeable with those principles otherwise then false leadership <laughs> And yeah, this is a whole different conversation. And I love talking about this because, you know, I love addressing where there's falsehood. And I know from my experience, and I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of Nigerians can say this, false preachers in Nigeria, in Africa, we have abound. <laughs> we have it <laughs> to, to such a high degree. It's scary, you know, that that is, is what people seem to capture within our, our communities more so than the authentic preachers, more so than the authentic people carrying the vision of God. So this is also, it also ties into, you know, if you're not called and appointed by God, why call, why actually follow a calling that isn't yours? Why take up the responsibility of other people? Like the Bible literally talks about leaders, they're responsible, they're held accountable for the lives that are under them, essentially. You know, so when the day comes and God is asking you, what did you do? He's not asking you, what did you do for yourself? He's asking you, where are all the people, <laughs> you know, that I called you to preach to, that I called you to to um, to show my glory. You know, I wanted to use you to show my glory through. Um, and so it's very important. You don't just go into leadership, helter skelter. You actually have to be called and recognize that there is a call on your life and know that um, it's not to be taken lightly. Um, so, yeah, it's it's so important i can't even stress enough so important yeah and i 100 percent agree because uh, just before i go to the next question i'm just gonna say just one a few things about the church leadership and um like you said backing up the pastor and tiny situation of the church because when when i joined i joined a new church this year uh not last year 
I wanted to find a place whereby I could call mine, where I could call, where I could call home. And the church, the church was that for me. The church did that for me. And the thing about it is that I was looking for God. I was not looking for a pastor. And anytime I went to that church, I felt God. I felt God presence around. And I feel like for me, that's how I can I can know what what a church is about. So I honestly do not necessarily care about the politics that goes at the back. But when I go into a church, my spirit tells me, like, this is it. And I remember an experience I had last year. Um, work was not, I had, I think it was on, was on, a, when, on a Thursday. Work wasn't, I had like the worst day ever. And I just, I was just literally tired. Like, I went to school and sleep. And Spirit said, oh, today is Bible study. Why don't you go to church? Like, just go. And I did go to church. And that day, as I went there, my Spirit said to me, now you're home. And I, and I asked him, what does it mean to be home? He said, this is where you can cry. This is where you can laugh. This is where you can do anything. And no one is going to judge you because you're yet to find me. And I would accept you. And that's when I realized that, yes, I'm home. What I've realized from your spirit aligning with your church is honestly, I don't know if it's just me, but anytime I'm going through something, the next time I attend the church, they preach about the exact thing or they pray about the exact thing. And I realize that you're shaking your head, so yes, that's good. I realize that <laughs> that's like, it means that, yes, God is using this church to look out for me and um. I'm aligned with this church and I'm seeing God in this church every time. And that's how I know. Um, so yeah, I agree leadership is important, but what I would just tell people is when you're going into a church, the first thing you should tell yourself, forget the politics, forget forget everything that you don't need to elevate and ask yourself, Am I what are you going to seek then? Because from that that's when you begin to realize that something's bothered you, like some things are stressing you. Like I'm going to seek God there. And if you enter that church, your spirit will tell you whether you are. And it's not saying that some churches you you're like you will not even align. And it's not because they are not preaching good. They're because at the point of your life, that's not what you need. And some other person would come there and be like, "Oh my God, this is the best thing that happened to me." But you are like, "No, I don't." And you're not seeing God there. And you're like, "Okay." So don't. It's not. It's not because they are doing anything bad or they are not even preaching God. It's because what you need at that point to see God is not there. You need to find it somewhere else. So for me, if you're focused on that thing, um, you definitely, definitely um, see God in the church. The next question I wanted to ask is, because we're talking about general Christian living, we're talking about how to live your life as a Christian, and this is just a broad question. What do you think, in your own experience, in your own journey with Christ, what do you think Christian living should look like? Again, I love these questions. <laughs> um, quite literally what you said. Um, I'm a big, big advocate, and I don't even think it's advocacy because it's the truth. I'm a big advocate for, uh, for lack of a better word, of intimacy with God. That's how it was in the garden. He walked in the garden. Um, and so the whole point of everything that God did from Genesis to Revelation, from God, you know, the Father to Jesus through the Holy Spirit, is so that we would once again be in intimacy with Him. Because what we did put some space, put a bit of a gap between us and, and God. And because He first chose us, He 
is his choice to restore that intimacy. He wants that for us. He knows how much we need it. Um, and so just based on that, it, it's, excuse me, it sometimes it um, baffles me how faith works otherwise. Like what you described just now is based on an intimacy with God. Because he, Bible says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. I've heard this so many times. I think, I don't know who actually said this, what preacher said this, but essentially if, if there's any distance between you and God, it's not because God moved away. Um, I think that's so true. <laughs> I think that's the reality is because he never moves away. He wants to be near us. That he has, he's, it's not just a promise that he said that's to come or that we're waiting for from the beginning of time. He wanted to be with us like A and B. <laughs> like, I don't know what other example to give. Just stuck on us, like, so intimate. Um, and I think it's only in recent times that I've actually, you know, fully embraced how intimate, you know, he wants us to be with him. You know, what his intention is for intimacy with us, which is just to be with us constantly, like, day in, day out which is a privilege on our, you know, for us. And so it, it baffles me how you can do life without that or how you can successfully do godly life without that. Let me say it like that. Because the reality is that's why he brought his spirit. And Jesus didn't just bring his spirits and say, oh, now, um, you know, I'm no longer man, I'm spirit. I will give you exactly what I had. He literally came and said, you know, this is the spirit of God presented him and said, I've done great things, but greater works will you do through this spirit. And I think that in itself is not even just for Jesus to say, Jesus, the only perfect man to say, you will do greater things than I did through the spirit of God. For me is a few things. One is a challenge not to do anything in my strength, but to accept the spirit of God to, to such a point where, I actually witnessed what Jesus declared his disciples would do, which is greater works than he did in his life. And two is an overwhelming truth of the love of God, which is, and, and the degree of intimacy that God really wants us to have with him, which is, I, I gave you Jesus and Jesus was great. Like Jesus was absolutely amazing. Best human being ever. In my opinion, I'm not even like best human being ever. Right. But I've now given you my spirit, which means, and Jesus said, this spirit is even more than I was here on earth. Bruh, I don't know what else you need. <laughs> like, I don't know what else you need. And to a certain extent, I, like, I genuinely believe community is, is, is a godly principle and we need community. But to a certain extent, that's why there are people who don't feel pressure to be in community, quote unquote, because they their encounters with Jesus, I think, I, I remember when I was in a place like that where I just thought, you know what, God, I don't, I don't really want to be in a church. I, like, the encounters I've had with you are enough for me because he did show himself to be God and to be so close to me at the time, and he still is, but to be so close to me at a time when I didn't have anyone around me, you know, with regards to community. And so he can do those things. He wants to. That's where he wants us to be. And so now I have people around me. Now that I've, I'm, I'm, in a community, it doesn't change. It doesn't, like, the whole thing doesn't change. He still is wanting to be as intimate. Um, and so 
it's a personal thing. You walk into a church and the spirit of God tells you, this is where my heart is. This is where I want you to be. Um, it's not, that's not something that everybody in church is going to walk in and say, oh yeah, that's the way it happened for me or that's my personal experience. It's a personal thing. Do you know what I mean? And this is the power of the spirit of God. Like, if we're going to walk this walk as we talk the talk, we need to recognize that there's no walking and there's no talking quite literally without the spirit of God. Um, I we, The young adults ministry in my church um, I belong to and, you know, our, our um, leader, the leader of the ministry gave a word on Instagram live the other day that quite literally was saying um, the ordinary is an opportunity for God to come and be intimate with us. And so we always expect God to do these grand things, these really big things, and show himself true in the most magnificent ways. And he does. He does because he's God. That's that's how he rolls. But he also does it in the ordinary things. I've, I've had so many instances in my life where I'm tying a shoelace and my shoelaces and God gives me a word, like a profound word. Or I'm walking down the streets and I see someone doing something and God tells me something about that person um, that's intimate and probably... I don't know this person from anywhere, but I, I have a conversation with the person and then I find out that it's actually true. Um, and I get an opportunity to pray with someone. It's crazy, but I can't do that without the spirit of God. I physically am unable to do those things without the spirit of God. So why on any level would I want to live my life as if my life is my own? Because that's what, otherwise that's what it looks like. That's what unless you're living through and by the spirit of God, you're living your life on your own terms, which in the worldly sense you do anyway. And that is what the ordinary is. But the same God who's the God of the universe, the Alpha and Omega and used a fire and used a donkey can surely use your day to day, you know, to breathe life, to bring love, you know, to, to teach, you know, to show compassion, to show you, to bring healing, you know, to restore things like we, it's just it's crazy because it just it just causes us to put God in a box, you know, a box that we don't know what the limitations are, and we, we we make those limitations based on the seasons that we're in and so many other circumstances. Whereas God God just wants to be intimate. He literally just wants to be intimate, and so that's what it it's all about. And those things coming close to God, being intimate with God, happens based on basic principles: prayer, reading the Word. You know, that's how we do those things. And so practically speaking. You want to be close to God, pray from time to time. <laughs> you want to be close to God, read a verse a day, read a verse every two days, every week. I don't know. Do what, do it at your pace, but um, do it anyway, because that's how we get. That's how we get intimate with God. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's really so profound because, like, just two days ago, someone was asking me because I love to listen to a lot of gospel music. I love to listen to worship songs. Like, it's like. 90% of my playlist in a day is, is that. And someone asked me, like, why? Why do you do this? And I didn't have an answer. And the Spirit said to me that you do this because you always want to be, you want your whole existence, you want your spirit to always be in the place of worship. And in the place of worship is that you are getting closer to God. Like, you are able to listen to God, you are able to hear, excuse me, you're able to hear from God. And I realized that that's true. Intimacy with God is really so important because now it's like you're sitting on the bed and you're saying to God, like, God, what's happening? And I started a journal which I called uh, Dear God Journal. 
and and I call I think I call yeah Dego Jonah and it's like a super I write some writing letters to my dad every day. And it's always so funny because I started reading it back some days and I realized that when I put something else to say, oh today was really very frustrating. Daddy, please take this away from me. I just want to rest. And I just look at the next day, it's like I see because I'm not and I'm just gonna talk about the miracles you talked about, like the those the small ordinary things that we don't necessarily take for we don't take them serious. And it's like when I look at them I'm like, oh, the next day I actually just get peace of mind and I just rest. And I feel that intimacy with God is is really so important. And one thing I'm trying to do for myself is I'm trying to do it at my own pace because I feel like and someone said my mentor said that to me, she said, You're going at a pace whereby you want to know God so much. And you just joining this, joining that, joining. So take it like take it as your own pace. Don't burn out. Don't don't burn out quickly. Take it as your own pace. It's good to be on fire for God at the time of your life. It's really good every time of your life to be on fire. But take it as your own pace. So that's what I'm trying to do now. I'm trying to understand how to remain intimate with God. I'm trying to understand like, yeah, this is how me and God relates. And I have the weirdest conversation. I said I, I, I told people that apart from the only living, I have so many weird reasons why I want to go to heaven. Because I even just like I feel like God has a great sense of humor. And he just laughs at certain things like I can be walking on I'm like, ah oh, God, I don't want this car to come to this road today. Or like maybe a car that's passed water. And it doesn't happen. Like I'm not even joking. Like I've said the weirdest prayers to God. And I'm like, okay. I can, for me that's why I feel like nothing is too small to ask from God. Like because when you understand that intimacy, and that's what I tell people, like, look at it like as your dad. Your dad has the power to do anything. So you always take for granted that you ask him for the small, small things. Like, my dad is like the president of Nigeria, so I always take for granted that I want to eat bread and he gets me bread. I take for granted, but the only thing I see is that I want a private jet to fly me to Lagos from Abuja, and it happens, and I see it as a grand thing, but I take for those things for granted because... I feel like eh, it comes with the territory. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, it's just interesting. Like, I just, and I wrote something last thing which I called Miracles Are Everywhere. And because I thought I had a very good encounter with God last year. And I think I'm going to talk about it a lot in my lifetime because the encounter is so great. And what made me realize that a lot of times as Christians, we are waiting for that great one. Like, let's say I'm praying for God to make my life the best. I don't know what kind, what that looks like. But in starting the equation, in doing this one thing, doing this one, I don't see them as big things. I just see them as, yeah, 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 moving on. Because said to me that miracles are everywhere. In the conversations you have with people, there's a miracle there. In this one, in this one, in this one. And I said that, why, why are they all coming in small, small pieces? And he said to me that, I need those small, small miracles that you, I need those miracles that you think are small to come to prepare you for the big one. He says, so that you don't give up when you're waiting, while waiting for that big one. And and that's what it means. And it's that intimacy we've got to have these conversations, to to know it. And I've realized, like you said, God has never left. He's always been there. I, I, I just, just know the one ready to listen to him. And once you're ready, you consistently, you consistently hear God. Um, I just want to move to the next question, which is, so we talked about, um, the leadership of the church. I'm not going to um, stretch on that so much. I want to talk about the people we being the body of Christ. And I wanted to ask because we are the one that makes those certain cultures that we call church culture. We as human beings make those things that we call church culture. So the question is, as a Christian, and 
in whether you're becoming a leader or you're not becoming a leader as a Christian, what should your motive be in every decision you make, in every act that you're deciding to do? What should your motive be? God. <laughs> I think we... I've just been in so many circles where people tend to... We spiritualize everything, if not most things. Um, sometimes it's as simple as ABC. Um, what should my motive be if I choose not to um, not to kill someone? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what what should, what's my motive for choosing not to tell a lie today? What's my motive for choosing not to, you know, submit to my sexual desires or lust or you know? idolize anything other than the god that i serve really and truly is god <laughs> there's there's nothing to it and i think this is also a place where people kind of get and I, I know this this is my personal experience where i kind of be like nah it's too simple do you know what i mean like mm, yeah yeah like obviously god god is the reason but surely there's another reason why i should be doing all these things and living my life in in all these different ways um surely there's there should be I want to. I want to quote it how I thought it, um, which is very. I, it's appalling now to me, but surely there should be a a higher reason or motivation. Completely false way of thinking, because that not only dishonors um, God in a sense, but then you're now asking, well, is there something else beyond God that surely should give me more motivation to do the things that He's called me to do? or to do the things that he's asked me to do. Um, and in the same sense, do the things and not do the things that he didn't send me to do, not do the things that he just he just didn't ask me to do, you know. But there isn't. The answer, simply put, is God. And I think at a certain point in, in our journeys, we either accept that or we don't, because there's no gray area when it comes to things like this. Um, we live in a world that's filled with gray areas, um, I know loads of people that believe in gray areas and how do, there's balance brought to the world because there are gray areas. But the word is the word, and what God says is black or white. You know, so gray areas can exist and they can be hard to maneuver. Gray areas can, like you rightly called this this podcast, they can be blurry. <laughs> they can quite literally just bring, you know, a sense of fogginess to things that may or may not be straightforward. So putting God at the center of most things makes it black or white. You either do or you don't. It's, it's hard because there are gray areas, like I said. People don't like to hear it because there are gray areas. And it's like, oh, what about this aspect? And oh, but this, this is impacted by this. And we can think about all those many things. And rightly so, because we are filled with the ability to seek knowledge, you know, to, to want to understand things. That's, that's part of our makeup. But the reality is, it's all God. And so for me, personally, how I reason this is if it doesn't lead back to God, if it doesn't lead back to giving God glory, if it doesn't take my eyes off myself and turn them to the kingdom and God's principles and God's purpose, is it really worth it? You know, and there are people who don't need to live, they're Christians who don't need to live their life like that, right? But my personal journey requires of me um, and we were talking about this earlier before we started recording my personal journey requires of me Arabella to look at it from that perspective is what I'm doing giving God glory 
not really. Maybe it's also indifferent. Maybe it's not. It's neither here nor there. Then what's the point of doing it? Because I'm called to live my life for God through Jesus. And so, and Paul said it. You know, it, everything is. You can do anything, but not everything is good. You know. So, why put myself in a position where I have to start thinking about where my motives lie when I can just have them completely embedded in? What do you want, God? How do we bring your glory to earth? How does the kingdom come to earth? What do you need me to do here? Do you actually want me here? Maybe not. Maybe I should go somewhere else. Where do you want me? <laughs> and these are these are simple questions we ask ourselves every day. Like, where am I going to today? Do you know what I mean? Like, what am I wearing today? What am I going to say to this person? Oh, I don't really want to have this conversation with this person. How should I say this? Simple questions. The ordinary. But God works through them. God is in them. Um, and wants to bring intimacy to us through them. Um, and so I guess the, the answer to that question is, whatever you're doing, does it glorify God? If you are trying to live a life for God, um, does it glorify God? And if you, you realize there is a call on your life, you know, everything is, you know, you can do everything, but not everything is worth doing if it's really not for kingdom. Kingdom purpose is really as far as I'm concerned, excuse me, <clears throat> the only purpose I recognize um, and takes precedence over every other thing. Every, we can have other things, but as long as they exist within the realm of God, God's, God's purpose comes first. We're human beings and we already have our own fleshy desires. Like, And let's say I, I become a pastor, for example, I have things I don't necessarily like in what I see people should do. So maybe I, I don't like people praising God with like the proper Nigerian when I want to just be aims alone. And that's that's my preference. And what I always say to people that you have to realize that when you are doing things for God, this is the point where you need to let God's will overtake every other thing you have. Because people are not coming to see the thing. It's like if it's your office, that's fine. Just do whatever you want to do. It's your office. But if you're doing things of God, like people are not coming to see you. People want to see God. So he's asking God that what should the praise and worship look like? Should he, should he look like all this and that? And because it's in that that people would find God. And you know, like we said that, when people come to your church, they want to see God. And so if people come here and they're seeing that, oh, they're seeing your principles, they're seeing your policies, they're not seeing God. It's, it's really that. So for me, is that as Christians and everything we're doing in... and. This, this is not even about leadership. Just regular Christians doing great things for God and everything you're doing. The first thing you how am I going to please God in this thing? How, how is the will of God going to just take preeminence of everything? And it's really important if you ask yourself those questions every day. And what you do is that you are, you are just surrendering yourself to say, I know I'm just a vessel. I know I'm just I'm just doing this for you. So let, let me know the way you want it to be done. How should I, and I, I like to use vessel, like to explain what vessel looks like. It's like someone, you don't even know the content that goes into you because the vessel does not know. And you don't know who you are going to pour it to. You don't know how it's going to be poured, whether they'll take it from up. You just know that you are just a vessel that helps in people pouring things out. And once you see that, like, I surrender, use me the way you please. You realize that all your fleshly desires, all your fleshly biases are able to just go down. And God is the is in is at the front and center the next question i wanted to ask and i'm going to ask two um, quickly is there is something we know as moral standards 
and this godly standard. Um, what do you think separates both of them? I can see you smiling because you're like, ooh. <laughs> 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 um, and the, uh, the second one is, and I really like, I really want to know your answer for this one. Should Christian have a different standard of living? Mm. Those are the two questions I wanted to ask. Yeah. Um, I'm going to answer the second one first because, again, it's probably simpler to answer. And just off the back of what you've said um, about you know, putting God's God's will and his desires for us above our own desires. Uh, we should, we should have a different, a different quote unquote standard of living. But when I answer the first question, I'll explain this whole standard thing because really and truly it's confusing. Um, but we should have a different way of living. Um, and that's, that's just the, that's just, we get that through the Bible. We get that through the Holy Spirit. We get that through what we believe and so when the bible says if you believe in jesus christ you are saved um we then are given the desires that we want um we're then given desires from god um which means we now want the same things as god does so essentially our different way of living isn't going to come from our own strength it's not going to come from our own ability to achieve a godly life or attaining living a godly life outside of God giving us the desires we need to live a godly life and then the strength to carry out the, those desires. It's not always easy to pick other people over yourself. It's not always easy to pick God's will over your own desires. Um, and he never said it would be easy, but he says, I've given you the freedom to choose anyway. And if you choose me, I need you to choose me completely. You know, I need you, if you're going to choose to follow, for example, this call, and you need to set a precedence in your church culture and you need to be a leader and you need to um, you need to set these these kind of, you know, put this structure in place. And you're like, oh, no, God, but I like a bit more reserved kind of worship and I don't like all this. And he's like, okay, your will or mine. You know, I know what you like. <laughs> I know what you like. I'm not, but I, I, I have what you need. And so what I, I what you need is what, I need for my people. Your life is not your own. And so God's purpose and his plan and his will is always, it always links back to two things. How does it give God glory and how do people see God's glory through it? Right? Like those are, those are crucial elements. Amazing. Um, when we come to a place where we realize, actually, I've, I've had moments where I'm like, hmm, naturally i don't like this like naturally i don't like people i don't really want to be around people i want to stay in my house like this whole lockdown period i'm buzzing <laughs> i my friends are calling me and they're like i need to be around people and i'm like yeah i can't really relate because i don't i naturally don't want to be around people but i was saying to you before we started recording as well like there are times when god just wants me to be around people and i'm like do i really have to I, I really don't want to like can i just stay by myself you know mind my business <laughs> do my own thing but that's how he that's how his glory is going to be demonstrated through me that's how you know it's through community that i get to to express myself in this way and it's through relationships that i get to express god's love and it's through you know being in in community and in fellowship with people that I or just being able to step out of my comfort zone and talk to people that I don't necessarily know that I get to have moments where I see God's glory come 
you know, um, maybe not necessarily as encounters, but in the small things. And so it's, a, it's a, just a small example to give, but the reality is that's not my default. I, till today, and probably till I'm old, I probably would just not want to be around people. But that part of myself submits to God's will, which is I want you to be around people. You know, um, and so, yeah, that's for that, that, that question. Um, we have a way of living um, as outlined by the Bible, by scripture, by the word of God. Um, but we can do it on our own. We do it through the strength that, that God gives through the Holy Spirit. So, again, intimacy is crucial <laughs> to whatever it is that we're doing. Um, and so, yeah, that 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 comes to us based on that. There's nothing we can do in our own strength that that causes us to live godly lives. Everything we need and require to live godly life comes, godly lives comes through God and through His Spirit. Um, and so, the first question, <laughs> which we kind of spoke about in bit, and I, I can see you smiling. I can see you quite keen to hear how I explain this. <laughs> is um it's about morality um <laughs> so i think again i'm a firm believer and sometimes things are very simple so when 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 we had a conversation about doing this episode i googled three words definition of three words i googled definition of standard i googled the definition of morality and the definition of um godliness um the godliness one the likeness of God, <laughs> simply put. Um, morality is, is basically a set of principles um, that establish the difference or the, the distinction between good and evil or good and bad, which is pretty much what um, the truth of the gospel is based on. You know, our, our nature, sin versus um, uh, salvation, God versus, not really God versus Satan because God has won the victory, but do you know what I mean? Like God versus the enemy, <laughs> all that good stuff. Um, and so those are, and you can, morality isn't just a Christian thing because people understand the concept of good versus evil everywhere. That's why you have superhero movies and there's, you know, a hero and a villain. Um, and so people people understand that widely. It's not a Christian, it's not exclusive to Christianity. Um and so when it comes to standards, um, I'm trying to think of how to answer this the best way. Um, I don't think it's morality versus godliness. I think morality and godliness in its natural state, they, they go together. Because as a godly person, you understand the principles of God and you understand his commandments so you understand this is right, this is wrong. Right? And that's what we're taught. Like, commandments of them, ten commandments, is you do or you don't. And that's that's just what it is. Um, and so, it's not really a contention between morality and godliness in that sense because the two actually go together. That's the teaching of the gospel. You do or you don't. Don't do this, do this. Um, don't do it this way, do it this way. Um, so I think the question, the way the question is framed, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way the question is framed actually speaks to 
teachings of morality and godliness, right? So we've already established, you know, how we should live our lives, how we can live godly lives, and that's just through through and by the Spirit of God. There's nothing we, anybody can do to change that. That's what it is. Um, and so we need God to live godly lives. And so teachings of morality are different from morality because morality and godliness go together. Teachings of morality, what they've become, and especially in the community where we're from, um, in my experience, is they've been weaponized. They've been weaponized to guilt trip people into submitting to God. That cycle, I don't think, is godly, right? So morality teaching tells you do this or God is going to do this. To a certain what morality, not, not morality teaching as it's called, what morality teaching has become is people, leaders, preachers, whatever, say do this or this is going to happen. Don't do this or this is going to happen. Classic example is the way tithing is taught in African churches. Like, if you don't tithe, God's going to punish you. He's going to curse you. If you tithe, God's going to bless you. Long story short, that teaching in and of itself is not the purpose of tithing from the Bible. Joining, that's not that's not the part of tithing that should be taught because that what that does is it incites a fear in man of God that isn't a reverence or an awe of God. It's more of a fear. I don't want to die. God, please take my money. And in reality. We're all going to die someday. So that fear is false. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that fear is built on a pretense that God punishes um, his children for not giving him their money. Um, I'm trying to be very careful how I say this because really and truly God can do as he likes. And he is the final judge. Um, but for someone to teach a principle of God as, as as if it were a judgment on his people when he says that he is coming to give the final judgment, that for me is problematic. And so, you know, should we be moral or should we be godly? Really and truly, they go together in and of themselves because morality is knowing good from bad. And we have that through the Ten Commandments. And even through the New Testament, Jesus makes reference to a lot of principles that are in the Ten Commandments, you know, so everything ties in together. Paul says, honor your father and mother. Same way commandments say, honor your father and your mother. Paul just goes the extra mile and says, you know, parents, don't, you know, aggravate your children. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, they're all still based on the principles that Noah, um, I said Noah, Moses, sorry. Moses got when God said, these are the things that I want my people, these are the principles that I want my people to follow. Tithing isn't even... A commandment tithing happened before you know the law was established so it's a godly principle you know Abraham gave a tithe right and so there's everything we need is through the pages of the bible that's that's what it is and so to know your your good from your bad your right from your wrong literally like I I want to give more practical ways to do it and obviously there are practical ways that you can read the bible um at your own pace and understanding God at your own pace but the answers are quite literally, it's in the word of God. If you want to know anything about God, why go to any other source but God? And God literally says, you know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. 
So he is in his word. That's that's how he's designed it to be. And so everything we need is in there. Everything we need to know about him is in there. Um, and so it's not so much about, you know, morality versus godliness because the two are, they go together. The way morality is taught, however, we need to be careful of. It can be problematic when it's weaponized to guilt trip God's people into submission because the reality of salvation is no matter what you do, you are saved as long as you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I watched the documentary and simply simply put, just to close, I think um, the current equation of salvation we have now is faith plus works equals salvation. And I got this from the documentary. But the reality of salvation is salvation plus um, salvation equals to faith plus works, but not works as in your effort after you've been saved, but works as a fruit of of what salvation has done for you. So anything we, we any attributes um, of godliness that we, we experience or is established in us after we are saved is not because we're putting in efforts to become more like God. It's simply because, because we have been saved, we are more like God in our nature, that becomes our nature. And so the fruit of that is godliness. The fruit of that is now, I do, I know my right from my wrong and I do, what God wants me to do, um, and I, I, my desire is to do what God wants me to do, sorry, um, because that's now in my nature, not because I have to do something to get it to be in my nature, if that really makes any sense. Um, and so that's <laughs> that whole <laughs> shebang. I hope I explained it properly. So morality in itself is, is a great thing. It's, it's a gospel. It's gospel. It's a te- that's the teaching of the Bible. Um, but what morality teachings are and what they've become can sometimes be weaponized and can be dangerous for us as christians yeah i want to say like wow like 20 times but <laughs> but yeah i i agree with you like 100 percent that because even because even before i started i decided to follow christ so i'm just like let everything go i always tell people that i feel like the principles and this is the way i said it, it might be as it might be like not right but i said it like i think the principles of the world and the principle of god are the same thing and i've always had that belief but now i'm not beginning to understand it a lot more better and say it properly and this is how i see it it's almost the same way you said it like it's the way it's been taught and if you look at the morality in the way the world looks at it like if you do a lot of good you would probably get a good word and if you do bad you get punished for it and when you do bad you have to pay your, you have to pay for your sins so that you can now be back to be saved and that's how the world teaches it but in the way god teaches that you don't like and which is why i i love this book a lot from lacris like the book of the year for me is that explains that he said when he gave his life to christ he felt like as if his his sin was filling up a bucket and he had to do so many good deeds so that he can overturn that bucket and like you don't you don't have to do that like whether you drink alcohol whether you don't whether you slap someone you don't doesn't mean like you are saved like it doesn't mean that you're going to get like any of those things it just means that you're already saved so the difference between that is that the teaching is that i don't need you to do so many good things for you to be saved and if you do bad things i'm not i'm not necessarily going to punish you because i love you regardless i'm just going to help you i'm just going to help you get better and for some of the things the consequences of sin like if you rape someone you definitely go to jail if you like the consequences of your sin, but that does not mean that 
you are God is making you suffer for those sins. Like God is not the one inflicting those pain on you. It's like a natural consequence. So it's like that's why when because I used to feel like anytime I didn't pay my tithes, and I maybe my car gets bad during the week, during the month, or like there's a problem in the house, I'm like, is this tithe? God is taking making me pay the money without actually because I don't pay tithes. Like the low cost I've come to take away this money. And people used to tell me that thing consistently. Then I listen to a message and it says, if you are paying your tithes or often because of fear, don't. Like, don't bother paying it. Like, because nothing is going to happen to you. These are natural occurrences. Your car could have gotten bad in the day you pay your tithes. And when I got that message, it said, when you understand sacrifice, when you understand love, it's like, example, I love this person enough to say, take this money as my own thing, thank you for every, like, I know nothing is going to happen to me, I'm going to be good, so I'm not doing this because I want to prevent some bad thing from happening to me, but before, I used to feel like, if any bad thing happened during the period where I don't pay my tithe, ah, locusts have come, they've come to take my money, but I don't get to realize that God doesn't punish you, he doesn't necessarily say, Nifemi, you are caused because you did not pay your time, like, Nifemi, you are not going, no, God does, there's some things you do that naturally you get consequences. If you borrow money and you don't pay quickly, you get problems. Like, it's not God is not punishing you. Like, yeah, God is not punishing you. So, for me, it's the teaching, which is why I always tell people, and I say, like, every time I have, I 100% believe in teaching of love. Like, I went to a church, and I'm going to keep saying this story for as long as I can because it's one of my most painful experiences ever. It was a Bible study when I was doing my master's. And someone said it was trying to um, equate girls um, to toasters, and it was equating boys to, I think, toast bread. And it was just saying that the number of times you do premarital sex, that's how you get bonds. I'm very weird. I, I probably not describing it, but it was so weird. It was horrid. And I'm like, and I stood up. Now I said it there, and I'm really, really, I shouldn't have spoken the way I did because I spoke out of annoyance. So my, my message could have just gotten. But it still stands like I stood up angry because I felt like this is not God's message. It's like God is not going to tell me, oh, come to church so that I can judge you. Come to church so that I can curse you, so that I can tell you that you are a sinner. No. Like God is telling you to come to church so that I can help you, so that I can show you love. And I'm telling, and I'm saying to them that the people that are in this church, whether they are doing premarital sex or not, they already feel this kind of judgment coming from people of the world. So why are you telling them to leave all their sinful ways and come here and you're giving them the same thing? So, which is why I believe so much in the message of love. Like, I, I don't like places that preach, if you don't do this, you are going to hell. And I'm like, no, that's not why you should not do it. Like, hell is not, I get the content of heaven and hell, but hell should not be the only thing that makes you make good decisions in life. You should do it because you love God. You should do it because you want to know God. And a lot of times, these teachings a lot of people are acting Christianity based on fear. That they're being a Christian based on if I don't do this, I might, I might as well just go to hell. So let me just be a Christian. And until you begin to realize that you're doing it because you love God, I used to go to church because yeah, yeah, what's the what's the big deal? But I said I grew up going to church because I wanted to know God more, I wanted to love God more. For me, that's the difference. Like, and my only hope is that a lot of people will now begin to see that you don't need to teach Christianity like the way the world teaches it because god is not going to punish you for anything yeah perfect love casts out fear 
that's that's in the scripture. That's that's just what it is. Perfect love of God casts out any fear, and so any principle that's based on, I'm scared that I I will be punished. I'm scared there will be a consequence. Is not the love of God. Any prince, any godly principle taught in that way doesn't express God's love, perfect love, which is that there's no fear in it, which is that there's no condemnation, you know, for us through um, Christ Jesus. And so anything that brings about that sense of guilt, shame, um, fear, condemnation, whatever it is, we can't, that's how we discern whether this is from God or not. So if I sit in a church and they're telling me you can't wear jeans here, we don't accept that. Well, my response is Jesus accepted everyone. Everybody. You know, in perfect love. And so are you telling me you're teaching love and principles of Jesus but not accepting me for what I'm wearing? That's, do you know what I mean? Like, that's, those are good ways to just discern where God's presence is. God's presence isn't going to, is and oh, this is such a bold statement. Let me try and rephrase it. But I'm not. I'm not inclined to believe that the presence of God dwells in a place where His principles and His ways are not. Are not. They don't take precedence. Do you know what I mean? Like and there was a point in the Old Testament where, and it's the idea of the temple and the veil. Only the the high priest could go in at a certain point because his glory was too much. Moses had the tent in you know under mosaic law he went up to the mountain when god gave him the, the um commandments and things like that and so the presence of god dwells where there is holiness moses was on the mountain but the people were at the bottom of the mountain creating their own idols <coughs> was god not still overseer and lord over their lives of course he was he could see everything they were doing but his presence dwelled in the place that was captured and understood the sense of his holiness which we have through and by his spirit this is the place where you know our heart our hearts are open to his principles to his ways which are higher than our ways so we can never fully understand but as long as he's above it all and he's king over all and we we submit our wills and our own desires and our, our thoughts everything to him then he he dwells there that's what like those moments don't come from anything we do other than submission full submission to the, the king of kings and so even if somebody is next door doing their own thing it doesn't matter because he's still lord over them as well <laughs> like he's still fully king of kings over them as well but he's just dwelling in a place where he knows we've chosen we want him to be do you know what i mean and that's why i i had this conversation funny enough um recently where someone someone said to me um so how come god doesn't just invade the hearts of people who don't know him he's not a forceful god that's not how he works <laughs> they have to choose god over themselves and that's just the way that's free will that's what that's the privilege we have and to be honest it can in my opinion and I, again i've made a lot of bold statements and i'm going to probably listen back to this and just be like why why did i say that but it's both a privilege and you know in some way kind of like a curse because a part of me is like god i want you i know i want you so why didn't you just make me want you completely <laughs> you know why do i have to pick i know i want you but it's that it's that part of him that's like well i choose you regardless 
you know, and you being able to choose me doesn't really do anything for me because I'm still God and I'm still Lord overall. But I want you to know that there is a love that exists in me that you can have you you can have in your life. And that is where it comes from, from the place where you choose me over yourself. That is where that perfect love exists. Like God is saying, I choose you, I choose you. No matter what you do, I actually don't care. I choose you. And I chose you from before you were formed in your mother's womb. But when you choose me, then I come and dwell in that place. Um, Mike Todd gave an example where it's like, you know, Jesus is a carpenter, so you have a carpenter knocking on your door constantly. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, or a fixer of things. Oh, I'm sorry, I noticed a broken window. You know, can I come in and fix it? And you're like, nah, I'm busy. Like, bro, I, I actually don't have your time. I, I didn't call you. You can leave. And so you slam the door in his face, but he comes back the next day, and he keeps coming back every day because the window is still broken. And so his desire is, I don't care whether you want me or not in that sense. I want to fix it, but I'm not going to force my way in. You need to give God access. You need to give him room. And you need to be willing for him to come in and say, okay, it's going to be a very uncomfortable process. Your window is broken. You know, that, that chair, the leg is a bit wobbly, it's wonky. And you're not going to like how I'm going to fix it. Sometimes it might be difficult. You don't want to go into those places. It, you know, sometimes it's just uncomfortable, but growth is uncomfortable. You know, and so he's saying, this is, this is how I operate because it betters you. And I want you to be a better you. I want you to have a chair that you can sit on and you're not going to fall. I want your window to be fixed because I don't want anybody that shouldn't have access to your house having access to your house. You know, and that's just the way God works. That's his love. You know, it's, it's sometimes can be discipline and tough love, but it's love nonetheless. You know, sorry, I just went on a bit of a <laughs> tangent. No, that's, that's all right. Uh, like, it, this kind of thing are really very useful because it just helps people see things in a different perspective and it helps you just grow. Mm. And just to your point about Jesus Christ doesn't force himself, like, as a child, as a as a young adult, remember all the things they forced you to do. You hate them now. You, you literally hate them. Like you, you resent them with so much passion. Literally, and that's yeah. why, <laughs> and that's why just not going to force himself to because it doesn't, you would resent him. Like you take over my life without giving me an option. Bro, why? Like why? And that's why he needs you to choose. Like it's going to be like, I'm not going to force you, but I'm also not going to leave you. I'm always going to be there for you until you realize you need me and you allow me in completely. And and that's what it is like. And what it does for you, and a lot of people, is because of, they don't, someone said something to me that I'll never forget. And it said, a lot of people, and it's in a, it's in a, in a um, I'm trying to look for the word now, in a realistic perspective, forgive me, that's not the right thing, but you said, a lot of people are afraid to become who they are like their exact self, because they're afraid of the consequences of what of who they are. So, and for me, I try to change to being a Christian. Like, a lot of people are afraid of accepting Jesus Christ because they know that, they know that if they allow it, it would point out the bad place in their life that they're not ready to give up. There's a lot of growth that would need to happen, and they're not ready to let it go. They don't, like, they don't want to see those things. And because sometimes the devil use those pains as... Beauty, you just to trip you 
a lot of people are afraid to say, no, I don't know. Those, I'm, I'm fine with my life, but I don't want anyone coming to pinpoint those parts of my life that I need to change. So a lot of people are afraid of those growths, and that's why they they don't allow him to come into their life completely. And like you said, he's not going to force himself, but, and which is my, which is what I love so much, he would always keep on coming. It's never going to leave you on off, and it's never going to just say, well, I'm done with you. Never. It's never going to give up on you. Always keep on coming every day of your life. And when you've realized, and the moment I realized that thing, because I always feel like anytime I'm in sin, Jesus Christ is far. For example, if I'm doing something very horrific, and I'm like, oh my God, Jesus Christ cannot be here. So I, there's no point. But the, the, the day I realized, I'm like, and I said to myself, Jesus Christ, you are here. Help me stop this thing. Like it was, it was, it was in that particular act, and I'm like, you are here. You're seeing me now. You're not fired. You are not closing your eyes to it. So help me stop this thing. And it was that aspect of you realizing that it, it never leaves. And it's in those true moments it just comes into your life and say, okay, bro, let's fix this. Start by doing this. Start by doing that. Start by doing that. And and people just need to realize that like it's never um going to. It's never, never going to leave you. And it's so profound. Like, you don't understand what that means. You chase someone. It's like, I'm toasting a girl, for example. I'm trying to ask a girl out. And she keeps saying, get out, get out. At some point, I'm like, I need to keep my sanity. I need to be okay mentally. But that's not, just guys like, I'm going to keep coming every day. Like, I tell people that you need to be, you need to understand. That's why I love God. I don't even understand. Like, I will keep coming every day. The days you feel great, the days you don't feel great, the days you feel horrible, the days you feel you, I would always be there. I would keep coming to you. I would just, just let me in. And it's so beautiful. Like, you don't understand. Like, I feel like I'm going to go on and on about it because I, I absolutely I love it. It's endless. Like, yeah. I love it so much in the way, in the way it is. And, uh, I'm just going to stop, and maybe one day I'm going to talk about it for a, lo- a longer time. But um, just to, uh, to wrap up, um, is um, this is the last question. I think we just wrap up in like five minutes. So one of the few things that people have said about Christian living and as Christians as well is that we tend to rank sin differently. Um, so it's that Nifemi is lying. Oh my God, no, that's five over ten in God's book. Um, Arabella is. Is cheating an exam. So that's seven over ten. I'm better than you. Uh, we tend to rank in, and there's that kind of ranking in holiness to say, oh, this person is uh, most holy, and I am just the one. Like so, um, what are your thoughts about that? And just to wrap up in like five minutes, what like just give us like some closing, some closing word um, that you think would just help people in in life in general. Um, yeah. Um, I think. Sin is sin. So white lie, big lie, small lie, sin is sin. Whether you sin in a church building or you sin in your room, sin is sin. Um, so basics, again, is very simple. It is what it is. Um, and so I don't, I don't believe in ranking sins at all. Um, the scripture, you know, that that inspired this conversation in a sense was, you know, in Matthew seven where it says, you know, why why point out a speck in someone else's eye when you have a speck in your eye? And I read the Passion Translation and quite literally Passion Translation said, Until you get rid of all your flaws, 
you don't technically you don't have a right to point out someone else's flaw, flaws um and the reality is we're human beings so we can never fully get rid of our flaws we are flawed by nature and so that means by default you have no right whatsoever to look at someone else and place a judgment on them and that sounds really heavy but in other words i have no right to look at someone that told a white lie and said you know you know something lied about something small and i have no right to look at someone who you know killed someone and say you killed someone so you're you're worse off than this person who told a white lie that's the summary of that scripture it just basically says you are you are flawed face your front <laughs> quite literally and so um i'm a firm believer in that because it's from our sense of i want to say it's pride as human beings because we have the ability to do stuff and because we live in a world of standards um it's from a sense of pride sometimes that we feel you know we can speak on certain things that another person is doing and make a decision on how that person's just like how what that person's decision um is going to breed what that what's going to come out of of those wrong decisions or those bad things that the person has done um and so like you rightly said before there are consequences for actions if you rape you're going to go to jail if you don't go to jail that is an injustice do you know what i mean but that is not i don't have that ability to say because this injustice wasn't answered in the way that it should have been everybody over there is going to go to hell do you know what i mean because that is there's a day that's going to come and people there's you either have you're living in a life of sin or you you've been given eternal life right and so there is that day that, that's going to come but i have no right to place those kind of judgments on people i can have my opinion on these the situations which is if you've done something wrong and you know we have a system where um you should be in prison for what you've done um and you're not i.e you've killed someone um I, I can also have my opinions on, you know, whether that's <laughs> the circumstances around that. We have our opinions on, on, on everything, really and truly. If you rape someone, you should be in jail. It's, it's, you know, it's a wrong thing to do um, in our world. And, you know, in God's eyes, it's, it's probably a wrong thing to do as well because God is a good God and harming someone else in, in any way isn't something that he stands for. And so, but that isn't my judgment is my opinion is not my judgment. Do you know what I mean? It's not a judgment and it shouldn't be a judgment. Where your opinion becomes a judgment, we have a problem. Lines are blurred and everyone needs to understand that you can have an opinion, but you have no right to place a judgment on anyone else. You know, so I don't believe in the concept of rank ranking sins. You lie and someone kills, you've both sinned. We all need Jesus and we will forever be needing Jesus because we're flawed. <laughs> so, you know, best thing you can do have your opinions, you know, be sensible, sensible, sensible when you have opportunities to express your opinions. Um, but pray for the people, you know, pray for them. Um, keep praying for people's salvation. As Christians, we should be doing that anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like pray for people's hearts, even your hearts. Pray for your hearts to always be in a place where, you, you know, God can um, can come in and he can and turn things around. You know, if you, you have opinions that maybe without your awareness I, I i'm like this sometimes sometimes my opinions are skewed sometimes some of the opinions i have are not necessarily based on bible they're not necessarily you know godly and he can come in sometimes and change that 
you know, they're, they're not set in stone because they're not my set of beliefs. My set of beliefs are, are you know, found the foundation is in God. And so he can come in and change your opinions. He can come in and change your desires. Um, and so let's always pray for our hearts to be in a place where God can come in and he has access to us in that way. Um, but also we're all flawed and there's never going to be a time where we would be unflawed or without flaws. <laughs> I don't know if unflawed is a word. And so that means we have no right to place any judgments on people. And so sin is sin. Um, seek your salvation. Keep working on your journey with, with God um, and keep praying for people who need Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I agree everything so much. Um, before I go into my 100 million thank yous, I uh, just want to tell people, like, um, for me, is if there's one thing I've learned about doing Christian living, living with God and it's always put God at the front and center. And when you do that, you realize that you don't even have the heart to judge because you know what God has said about it. You don't, you know that sin is sin. You know that you want to have a community or relationship with God. You, are, you cherish the intimacy you want to have with God and all of that. So just putting God at the front and center has been, it's been my guide for everything about Christian living and it's helped me in knowing the right steps to take and and the right step not to take. Um, so um, this is the longest we've ever done, one hour and 22 minutes. Uh, I'm, so uh, I'm, I'm really, really, I'm really, really good. I had, I had fun and I have like three three topics from the conversation that I've served with a different before, yeah. a different topic for the podcast. Um, so thank you so much for doing this. Um, for having me. This was, I am I'm, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I really did have a good time. Thank you so much. I'll put you in front, in front of my melody. You are all that matters. You are all that matters. I'll make room for two. You and I, Jesus. You are all that matters. You are all